the sermon this morning, uh, which is titled A Time to Heal. Uh, We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Luke, and this morning we continue to learn about some of the interactions Jesus had with the Pharisees and the scribes, and once again, how he offended them with his pushback on the Sabbath traditions that they had established. Last week, we saw how when Jesus' disciples were plucking grain and rolling it in their hands as they walked around, um, they were accused of doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus reminded him, them that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that relieving suffering or helping with a human need takes priority over the Sabbath rule not to work. And now we see another example where he riled up the Pharisees by healing a man with a crippled hand. So we're going to read this together from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 6, and then we will uh, try to see what truths we can glean from God's word this morning. It says, On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose sprite hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So let's go back to the first word in our, or the first verse of our passage there, verse six, and let's see what we can learn. There's actually a lot in this one verse. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So Luke lets us know that even though these two incidents are described in the same place, they took place at different times. So he says, on another Sabbath. Remember, not all the narratives we find in the Bible are necessarily in chronological order. In this case, it makes sense that Luke wanted to place these stories together because they had a theme between them that they had a common connection, and that is that Jesus angered the Pharisees by being dismissive of their man-made Sabbatarian rules. And other Gospels record this account as well. It's probably safe to think that there were yet other incidents where similar things happened. After all, John in his gospel wrote that if all the stories about Jesus had been written, he supposed there would not be enough books to tell them all. So I'm guessing there was probably more than just the ones recorded in the gospels where Jesus offended people over the Sabbath. Um, So John said, yeah, there's not enough books in all the world if we were to tell all the things that Jesus uh, did during that time, and that was in a three-year period. Um, and uh, not only that, it would be difficult reading if someone was trying to read all those stories, so we have a sampling of them. A normal part of Jesus and, others, uh, and other people when they celebrated the Sabbath was to be at the synagogue, and there, rabbis and even just elders that were uh, men of the, the uh, synagogue would stand and read portions of scripture, and then sit and teach it. 
And so it was a pattern for Jesus to do this as well. And in this synagogue, there was a man there whose right hand was withered. A couple of points about the man. We don't have a lot of information given here, but first it just says he was there. He was there. Unlike some other healing stories where someone uh, tried really hard to get to Jesus. You know, remember they broke through the roof, the lady who gets through the crowd to touch his garment, others who cry out to him from the road. There's a lot of people we see stories of that were going for the purpose of being healed to Jesus. But in this case... It does not tell us that he asked to be healed or even that he had the faith to be healed. Some other stories say they had the faith to be healed and so Jesus healed them. This one, it just doesn't say that. And so some have speculated that the Pharisees, did they bring him here on purpose to test Jesus? But Scripture doesn't clearly tell us that. And I want to remind you again, I'll say it till I die, if Scripture doesn't tell us something clearly, we want to be a little careful. It's one thing to say, well, maybe this happened, but we don't know for sure, and let's remember that. But it does say that his right hand was withered. Now, normally the term withered is a term used, the most common use for that term would be to describe a, a plant or a tree that's basically dead. It's, it's got no more life in it, no more sap, no more water. Um, so a withered hand, this hand was in really bad shape. It was probably atrophied and useless, it probably was unattractive to look at as well. So we've just looked at one verse and look at all the information we found just in one verse. We found that Jesus was there on a different Sabbath. We found that he was teaching. We found that this man with the withered hand was there. And this is a reminder that as we look through Scripture, we always want to see what information. Sometimes we read through the Bible, and I do recommend reading plans. You know that. But sometimes it's good to take a little part of Scripture on your own and say, look at all the information I can find right here. What is this telling me? So let's take time to examine Scripture carefully. So that's just the first verse of our passage. Let's move on to verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. You know, I couldn't help noticing here the problem with motives. They're not watching to see if Jesus would heal because that would be so awesome and wonderful for this man. They're not watching because they'll want to tell a story later. I was there and saw him heal, which is not necessarily the best motive either. But they're looking for something to accuse Jesus with. And so their motive was not to learn from his teaching. It's ironic that they're so concerned with keeping the Sabbath, and, but it may be that they were working hard themselves that day, working as investigators who are out to solve a crime. I, it would have been funny to me if Jesus would have said that. What about you and your detective work that you're doing on the Sabbath? I mean, you know. And John Corson in his commentary said that the Jews at this time And many Orthodox Jews to this day believe that Messiah will not come until the Sabbath is kept perfectly by the people of Israel. 
And that is why the Pharisees were so intent on keeping Sabbath regulations. And I know this will be a little repeat for those of you who are here. Some of you weren't here when I preached on the other passage about the Sabbath. I want to remind you, how, how did that all come about? These Pharisees that had all their rules, and you've, if you've been in church very long at all, you've heard something about the Pharisees and the, how, how they were these rule-focused people that were always on everyone's back. And we went back to say that a lot of scholars believe this began back in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when when the people had recommitted themselves to follow the law. And in order to protect themselves from violating the law, if the law was a city in the middle, you'll remember those of you that were here, I said they would build a wall around the city. And then an outer wall, and an outer wall. We're going to keep you so far from breaking that law, we're going to keep you way out on the outskirts uh, so you won't even get close to that law. But they got so concerned with that that the, all they did was make life miserable for everybody. And they got into their heads an attitude that our rules are actually the rules, not the ones God gave. And so we, we have to realize that sometimes people start out with maybe a good idea or motive but when you rely on yourself again and again to, to make the, the calls and the rules on all this stuff, you'll end up often very far from what God was intending. And that is exactly what they had done with the Sabbath regulations. Now, the rabbis were not completely heartless when it came to helping. They did allow for life-saving measures on the Sabbath. From uh, Luke, an introduction and commentary, it said this, the rabbis did not object to healing on the Sabbath if there was danger to life, and they interpreted this liberally. Whenever there is doubt whether life is in danger, this overrides the Sabbath, one of the rabbinical writings said, but if there was no danger, they were adamant such healing was not allowed. In other words, if that person is not probably going to die today, then you have to put off their healing until tomorrow. Okay, so obviously this guy with the withered hand, they probably did not consider that to be a life and death issue. He probably wouldn't die if he hadn't been healed that day. He'd probably lived with that condition for a long, long time. But we're going to see that Jesus looked at this quite differently. And as I mentioned last week, they had, they had ruined the Sabbath by making it all about living in fear of breaking a rule instead of a great day for people who were supposed to enjoy that day. They were supposed to enjoy a break from work and celebrate life. Uh, the interpretation of St. Luke's Gospel says they made it a law which was strictly imposed on man instead of a blessing that was bestowed on man. And that's exactly what uh, law legalistic type people want to do. Now, I want you to remember what I said legalism is not. Trying to obey the actual words of Scripture is not legalism. It's when we add our own ideas to it and say, everybody else must follow. But we are to try to obey God's law and his word as much as possible and uh, strive for that every day of our lives. That's not legalistic. Legalism is when you create your own rules and then try to impose them on others. Verse 8 then says, He knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. So Jesus knows their thoughts. He knew their motives. He knew everything. Now he speaks to the man. Now in this passage, there are three commands, what we call imperative commands that Jesus gives the man. And they are, come, stand, and stretch out your hand. 
Come, stand, stretch out your hand. These are direct commands from Jesus. And here in this verse, we see Jesus tell him to come and stand, and he obeys. And then in verse 9, Jesus said to them, I, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? What a question, huh? See, the Pharisees were concerned with a very different question than Jesus was. What they were concerned with is, is it work or not work? And we get to define what that means. Jesus doesn't worry about that question that they're worried about. He's comparing two choices. Basically, he points out that the choice is to do good or to do harm. In other words, if you have the ability to relieve someone's great suffering and you do not do that, you're doing harm. And more than that, the choice is to save life or to destroy it. Again, you could argue that he, you know, just ignoring a situation is not to do any harm. But there are actually good Samaritan laws in some places that say if you see someone that needs your help and you're able to give that help, even if it's not necessarily life and death, you're supposed to render some help. And so Jesus is comparing. He's, not, he's saying, no, it's not about work or not work. It's about relieving suffering or not, or doing good or doing harm, or he's talking about saving life or destroying life. And so we, we look at all the attitudes involved here, and we have to ask ourselves, it's easy to look back in the past at a story like this and say, can you believe those people? Can you believe they're worried about that? But what are our attitudes sometimes about helping the one truly in need? And then the other question that I think we should ask ourselves is, do we sometimes elevate one biblical truth while ignoring a more important one? You know, that's called straining the gnat. You know, you, you're, you're all worried about something that really is not as big of a moral issue while you ignore the really big uh, issue that's there. And so then in verse 10, he says, after looking, at them all, he, after looking at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. So um, I'm going to read a quote here in a second, and then I'm going to say a little more about that. But the Pharisees are going to have a hard time here. If, if they were bringing this to court, for example, and they were going to say, he healed on the Sabbath, he did work, what work would they prove he did? What work did Jesus do? Well, the interpretation of St. Luke's Gospel, again, has a great quote. The notable thing that Jesus did, nothing. He did not touch the hand. He did not even say that it should be healed. All he did was tell the man to stretch out his hand, and not even the most rabid Pharisee could call that a work that was forbidden on the Sabbath. The man was healed by the almighty volition of Jesus, by that alone. This made the case hard for these enemies of Jesus. With his great mastery, Jesus cut off every plea on which they might fault him with a show of right. So, well, let's think about this for a moment. Now, this guy, anyone else in the world, if they said stretch out his hand, could he do it? No. But when Jesus gave the command, he also gave the ability to follow through on that command. He, he had the ability to do that. 
But no work so-called was done. I mean, I don't know what statute they would say. Jesus didn't work. The man didn't work. You can't say someone did work by stretching out their hand. But his hand was restored. So now look how excited they are. They're they're so thrilled to see this powerful miracle and how good it's going to be for this guy. He can now get gainful employment and he can go provide for his family. And not only that, it's just a miracle that we got to see how powerful God is working through this man. What a wonderful thing. No. (laughs) Verse 11, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do. Jesus. Matthew Henry said, no wicked men are such absurd and unreasonable men as persecutors are, who study to do evil to men for doing good. We just talked about persecution a little bit in our D6 this morning. How absurd and how unreasonable persecutors are when their charge against you is they did something good. They study to do evil to men for doing good. Why is that? Well, we know that Jesus was hated by many. Scripture records that. Um, He was persecuted even, even prior to his death on the cross. He had been persecuted and... um, People were always trying to figure out what, how to get him on something. But what this turns out is, it's not really about the Sabbath. Now, if you ask those Pharisees at the time, they say, well, this is about Sabbath breaking. This is what we're mad about. It's the Sabbath breaking. This wasn't about the Sabbath. The Sabbath breaking was a way for them to take out enemies. They had done it with others as well. You know, all I have to do is, if you make an enemy of me, is I follow you around long enough and I'm going to catch you doing something. There's a famous quote, and I don't remember now right offhand who gave it, but you show me the man and I'll give you the crime. You know, uh, a vicious, unethical prosecutor, if they don't like someone, they'll find a crime. This is what they were doing to Jesus. They're trying to find something. We'll We'll get you on something eventually here. But it... In the end, it really wasn't about the Sabbath. It wasn't. It was, uh, it was just a way for them to take out enemies. He was an enemy. And just as they went after Jesus, they will go after his followers as well, both then and now. They will accuse us of evil for standing for the good. They will be filled with fury when we do not affirm their rules. You can watch a lot of news articles and YouTube and see what happens when someone simply stands on a street corner and has scripture being read and, and someone comes past that has such utter hatred that they assault them, scream at them, arrest them. It just happened in Wisconsin a week or two ago. A young man standing on a public sidewalk reading scripture. That's all he was doing. And they arrested him. So... If they went after Jesus, they're going to go after his followers as well. The way I can prove this to you is by I can go to the words of Jesus himself from John 15. He said in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they, would all, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not have been guilty of sin. But now they, do have, now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. If you were of the world, the Lord will love you as your own, as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Let's take a few moments to see what Jesus is saying here in John 15. There's an imperative command here. No. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's an imperative command. You need to know this. It's not merely a concept. You need to know that if you're in Christ and the world hates you, know that it hated Jesus before it hated his followers. And then he continues, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you want to be loved by the world, be just like it, and they will leave you alone. But that is not what following Christ looks like. We're in the world, but not of the world, so the world hates us for that. Jesus said we are hated by the world because he chose us out of the world. Now, you'll find a lot of people, when you speak of Jesus choosing those he saves, some people get really mad about that. But Jesus chose us out of the world, and the world hates him, and then it also hates those he chose as well. In verse 20, remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I've noticed if some people hate a particular president, they hate anyone who supports that president. If people hate the master, they hate the servants as well. And if they hate Jesus, they hate God the Father as well, he said. It's impossible to hate one of the members of the Trinity and love another. Likewise, it's impossible to say you love Jesus and hate the people of his church. If I said to a man, I love you, brother, I hate your wife. I can tell you that man would probably not feel I really loved him. They hated Jesus without a cause. This means without a just cause. Lessons come to us then from this story of the healing of the man with the withered hand. First lesson, I've got a whole list of them. I'll try to go fairly quickly here, but first lesson I wrote down was that some people are just looking for trouble and reasons to accuse. Remember I said it's not about the Sabbath? If they could have found something else, they would have done that too. They just wanted to have a problem with Jesus, and they wanted to find a way to cause problems for him. So some people are looking for trouble. They're just looking for reasons to accuse. Um, and and you, when you encounter people who are like that, uh, it can be very discouraging in life. And you're like, what did I do to you? Just here trying to serve Jesus. What, what did I do? What, why are you so mad? What are you against me? I, you know, and you need to understand if they hated Jesus, they will hate you as his follower. 
People will just look for trouble and reasons to accuse you, which is another reason why we need to work extra hard as Christians to follow God's ways because we leave them no reason, right? But then Jesus said, they hated me for no reason. So all we can do then is to do our best to honor the Lord with our lives and with our actions, with our words. And when people do come just looking for troubles and and reasons to accuse, then we need to know that we have a Savior who knows exactly what we're going through. And we can call on him and say, Lord, help me through this time. Second lesson I wrote down is that Jesus shows that acts of compassion and mercy do not violate his laws. This is the really uh, one of the many important lessons of this uh, and the previous passage about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus said, uh, was not made for man. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for our benefit. It was the Lord's God saying, uh, I am telling you because you have a, you'll have a propensity to work and try to achieve and try to do all these things, and I'm going to force you to take a break. And so I'm giving you the Sabbath. And it was made for man's benefit, not so that man had to serve God in a sense through it. It was made for a... a for relaxation, for leisure, for a day just to honor God and and just worship him and and enjoy the life that we have in him. And so Jesus was showing that. He showed that acts of mercy and compassion don't violate his laws. Um, If if we were to take that attitude that, that that constitutes work and therefore we can't do it, we would have the same attitude. And we don't want to do that. I mentioned last week, I gave the example. If someone came in right as we were beginning our worship service and said there's a car in the pond out here and it's starting to sink and we need all the men to get out here and try to pull that car out, I should hope that no one in here would say, well, no, we got a church service to do here. Call the ambulance or call the wreckers. or No, I would hope that every able-bodied person would go out and do what they could. And so it's, it's something that Jesus was showing them that they had it all wrong. You see, they may have put all these fences up around their Sabbath, but they had erred in big ways to think that that's what it was truly about. It was really not about that. And so that's another great lesson. Jesus shows us that acts of compassion and mercy do not violate his laws. Another lesson when we do not bow to the rules of worldly systems, we'll be hated. You will find this out rather quickly, especially in certain areas, certain areas more than others, but almost everywhere now. If you stand up and say, hey, XYZ is immoral. How dare you? How dare you? How could you hate? You know, hate now is you don't affirm me, you know. And so when we don't bow to the, rule, the rules of worldly systems, we're going to be hated too, just as Jesus was. And so, lesson, next lesson, we must pray for strength and boldness to live out the life he called us to. Because when we face that persecution, it's going to be very easy to just say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'd rather, I want people to like me. I'd rather just wave their flag and get them to like me or whatever it might be. And so we need to pray for strength and boldness. I know I read this passage a week or two ago in, from Acts where the believers, 
when things were getting really bad, their prayer was not spare us, Lord. Their prayer was, Lord, give us more boldness so that we can continue this work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And so I believe that that's a prayer he'll answer if we ask for that boldness to share Christ. Uh, Next lesson is we must be ready to be hated for standing for Christ our Savior. We need to be ready for it. We have to be ready for it because the Bible is so clear this is going to happen. One of our questions in in, uh, D6 this morning was when persecution comes. And I stopped and I... Those of you, a lot of you were in there, so I'm trying to repeat it, I guess. But it didn't say if. It said when. And Jesus didn't say maybe you'll get persecuted. Maybe in this world you'll have troubles. No, he said in this world you will have troubles. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So if we're in those troubles, we need to rely on him. Now, how do we do any of this? How do we do any of that? Not in our own strength, I tell you that. We need to do it by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Only with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit can we do anything for the Lord at all. So we need that. And we need to do, the other thing we need to do is train ourselves in righteousness. How do we train ourselves in righteousness? We need to be in God's word daily. We need to be encouraging one another, spurring another, one another on. And what this requires is constant interaction with fellow believers. It's a very sad thing. I've been struggling with this more and more and more each year as I'm in ministry. And this may offend someone. I don't know if it does. But I, I am concerned about the apathy that people have when it comes to having interaction with other members of God's body, the body of the church. Because Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do you exhort one another every day if you don't even see each other, talk to each other, hear from each other, except on Sunday morning for an hour and a half? I am concerned about it. Almost every pastor I know is concerned about it. The world has many, many things to keep you busy and keep you from interacting and uh, we'll be talking about that more in the next uh, coming period of time, that we want to encourage you as believers, as Oasis Church, to make sure that you're intentionally finding ways to connect with others in the faith and then bringing others along with us too, so hopefully that, that they would also receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't, how do you exhort one another every day if you don't see each other every day, if you don't hear from each other every day? Um, not that you can connect with every single person in the church every day. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying that it should be a normal practice. And so how do we spur each other on? We need to do that. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. If you have to watch online because you can't get out of the house, that's one thing. If you um, have trouble because you, you're immobile or something, or if you're on vacation and you can't get to a church or, some, or you're sick, then, hey, that's great that we have YouTube and all of that. But unless one of those things is keeping you from coming, I would encourage you to be present at church, whether here at Oasis or people, if you're not here locally, then find a church. This is what the faith is about, is to be lived together. And uh, so I encourage people to do that. Um, so 
This includes being a disciple who learns from others and also being one who is teaching others about serving Jesus. Our men's Bible study right now, is it's, the theme of it is that we're people that are in need of help, that are helping other people. So we need to continually to learn and grow ourselves while we're also finding others that we can help pour that out into. That's called discipleship. We want to be doing that too. And we want to know God's word. You have to know God's word. How in the world will you ever know if I'm telling you the truth or not? I mean, I, th- I think some people would say, well, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that he'll tell me if you're lying to me, Pastor. Well, he, he, sometimes he will, but if you don't know the Bible on your own, you're not going to know. You won't have the discernment to know who's teaching you the right and wrong. So I encourage you to be in God's word yourself. You must be uh, in order to keep growing. Uh, so as we conclude this message, and it was a little shorter message today, I realized, but um, but I want to take a moment um, before I pray here. This just kind of came to me while we were singing because I was thinking about all the uh, different folks we have in here from different uh, ethnic backgrounds and different languages. And there's something to be said for being encouraged in your heart language. If you don't know what that means, well, your, your first language, the, the language that you learned as a child um, there's something special about hearing encouragement in your heart language. And I know that there's a number of you here, and I'm thankful you come and hear me speaking in English every week. Um, but I know that there's, there's some of you, I, I can't help you at all with your heart language because uh, we got Vietnamese, we got uh, Indonesian, we've got other languages that I think you're the only one. <laughs> but if you don't mind, if you would like someone... To, be encur- to encourage you in your heart language, and you speak Espanol, are you willing to slip up your hand so others can see who you are that speak in Espanol? Heart language. There, there, there. There. That's my brother-in-law, Johnny. He's visiting here. He's from Ecuador, but now he's from Toronto. Anyway, uh, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. Who else had their hand? Huh? Honduras. Honduras, sorry. <laughs> Ecuador. So, uh, so if you saw those hands, if you guys try to find each other on the way out, encourage each other in your heart language. How about that? That would be really good for you, wouldn't it be? And for the rest of us, we ought to be doing the same thing. Let's encourage each other in the faith and, um, and do that. So with that, I'm going to close, and, and we're going to close a little bit early to give you that opportunity after we sing our last song. Just linger a little bit and fellowship, and encourage each other in the faith. And, uh, and those of you that uh, speak Spanish, speak it loudly so the others can find you and come closer. <laughs> and I, I know that all of you know how to speak quickly, too. So, right? You know how to speak quickly if you're in Spanish, right? <laughs> I can't ever keep up. I know just a little bit. But, uh, but I encourage you to do that, and I encourage you to get, continue trying to get to know each other as a family of God here at Oasis Church, uh, because he's got a lot of work for us to do, and we need to know each other well so that when we go to do that work, we can partner well with each other as we bring the gospel to our community uh, and beyond. So let's pray, and then we'll sing our last uh, worship song, and then I just want to give you some time to pray with one another, encourage one another. Uh, and be blessed and um, 
I don't have your permission, but we have a retired pastor here from Puerto Rico, so he definitely can encourage you in your heart language if you speak Spanish. Is that all right? <laughs> okay, so, so uh, that's Angel over there, and I encourage you to meet him and uh, his wife. I don't remember your name. I'm sorry. Ima, okay. So, uh, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for these examples we have from our Lord Jesus Christ and how he handled this, how he saw the opposition, and he knew that they would get angry if he healed the man, but he cared more for the man in his condition than he cared about his reputation with those. Lord, I pray that would be our heart as well. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart and a compassion for the lost. Because a withered hand is one thing, Lord, but eternal conscious torment is a, quite another thing. And people all around us are headed there, Lord, if they don't know Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us an extra measure of boldness, an extra measure of concern and compassion for those who are lost. And, Lord, may we be your stewards of mercy who go and bring the love of Christ into the community around us. And Lord, may we sense in our hearts deeply that we do that because we love you and obedience to your commands is evidence of our love for you. Lord, I pray that you'll do a mighty work in our hearts this morning. And I pray as we all uh, finish this last song and, and spend time together, Lord, just fellowshipping, that you'll help people to make new connections and have great blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand one more time.